At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. To be clear, there is regular violence between Israel and Hamas militants in Gaza. Hamas lobs rockets at Israel, which has a very sophisticated missile defense system known as the Iron Dome, and the impact in Israel is usually minimized. Israel retaliates with airstrikes on the densely populated Gaza Strip. That is how it often goes. This past weekend was different. I don't know if she's alive. I don't know if she's dead. I don't know if she's hurt. I know nothing. I, I don't know if somebody captured her. We started getting phone calls like from Arabs, from Hamas, that they are keeping my daughters. And they, they say that they have my daughter, my beautiful daughter. And I hear screaming of girls. That is Ahuva Maisel, whose 21-year-old daughter was at a music festival when Hamas militants paraglided over the border and started shooting civilians. Hamas killed more than a thousand people, took others hostage, and assumed control of several Israeli communities. Israel's military was caught completely unaware. Now the Israeli military has laid siege to Gaza. Retaliatory Israeli airstrikes have killed at least 800 Palestinians and displaced around 200,000 people. They have cut off fuel, electricity, and food supplies into the area. Residents of Gaza say they are used to conditions like these. Iman Abu Sayyid lives in Gaza with her two kids, ages 11 and 12. In Gaza, seconds, seconds between life and death. You can't expect how long will you live. Every single moment we have loud bombing from F-16 and from uh, war uh, ships at the sea. From the sea, from the air, from everywhere, we have loud voices bombing. Many of the buildings surrounding us have been bombed. We're trying to escape, but we don't know where to go. Consider this. Hamas attacks on Israel over the weekend came as a surprise to many, even those high up in Israel's government and military. But experts who closely follow the region point to key developments over this past year that set the stage for this explosion of violence. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. It's Tuesday, October 10th. It's Consider This from NPR. In helping to explain what led up to this most recent outbreak of violence between Israel and Hamas, we've reached Tal Schneider just outside Tel Aviv. She's the political and diplomatic correspondent for the Times of Israel. We've also reached Shibli Talhami, the Anwar Sadat Professor of Peace and Development of the University of Maryland. I started by asking Tal Schneider to recap this last year in Israeli politics, which saw the return of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to power. You know, the prime minister, he's been prime minister for so many years. This time around, he was having a hard time getting elected. We ran through five election cycles. At the latest of them, almost a year ago, he actually won and then nominated a person who himself was convicted for eight times in inciting against Arabs. So this is someone who was outlawed, who was, you know, for us, Israeli, was someone who was not supposed to sit in government. Netanyahu made him a strong leader, and the public in Israel erupted. 
for the judicial uh, reform. They wanted to change the, the, the judicial, you know, stand of Israel and for this specific nomination. And the cabinet, war cabinet of Netanyahu was completely dysfunctional with this, those extreme ministers, uh, both him and another minister named Smortrich. They got high-level ministerial jobs, and the cabinet was completely dysfunctional. Is it fair to say, this is a development that will be familiar to Americans listening, is it fair to say that Israeli internal political chaos has been so pronounced this year that, that Israelis have been distracted from what's going on outside of their own politics? It's more than fair to say that, you know, Israel's reservist communities uh, erupted against the government specifically for the judicial change. They wanted to change. We don't have a constitution. They wanted to change Israel's balance of power, the way Israel is a democracy, the way the democracy functions. And and you saw many groups of Israel's, you know, here many people are doing reserve duty. They erupted. They went out to demonstrate. And some of them announced that they will not serve anymore under dictatorships. And here we are with a weakened military. Shibli Tilhami, let's look at what was happening in this same window, the last 12 months uh, in Gaza with Hamas. Um, well, first of all, uh, I think that, you know, the, the surprise and the shock isn't that Hamas would carry out an attack. I think it was more about that they had the capability to do it and mm-hmm. the Israelis would fail to anticipate that. And this has to be clear to everyone. Nothing justifies attacking civilians or recklessly jeopardizing them, no matter how how just the cause is. What happened, though, is that if you look at the context in which this was taking place, uh, they were exploiting what they sense is deep despair among not only the Gazans who have been under siege for you know many years, but on the West Bank. I was there in Israel in the West Bank uh, last week. Mm-hmm. You know what you see is total despair. Obviously, after the rise of the Israeli far right, but even before that, because they've been under occupation fifty six years, uh, with this uh, far right Israeli government, what you have seen is obviously increasing settler violence, settlement encroachment in a way, and they were counting on. First, Biden to do something after Trump uh, didn't happen. They were counting on Arab states to do something. Instead, the Saudis and Israelis are trying to make peace without them in a way. Um, And so there was a sense of despair. And Hamas probably read a political opportunity for them, doing it in a horrific way, to reshuffle the deck and to also neutralize the influence of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, which has already been neutralized quite a bit. That gets to what I wanted to push you on, which is a lot of people have been asking the the why now question. It sounds like you would say, first of all, they had military capability that they didn't before, but also this deep despair, both among uh, Palestinians and grievances that Palestinians have felt and also dysfunction within Israel's government? Yeah. I mean, look, as, as I said, this is not a justification, right, of what they did. Understood. Um, so keep that in mind. It's just a question of why would they want to deploy their attack now to maximize their influence and reshuffle the deck? Um the Saudi-Israeli uh, talks obviously were critical because it clearly could have come at the expense of the Palestinians. You're referring to talks that the U.S. has been deeply involved in, in, the, in yes, promoting. Yes, the U.S. has try been to... trying to, mm-hmm. to make peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia with 
likely minimal impact on Israel-Palestine, something that, of course, the Palestinians have been counting, that any such peace would come tied to what the Saudis traditionally have said is the end of Israeli occupation, which obviously wasn't going to happen. So you have that taken place at the same time, and you have an increase in settler violence and encroachment in East Jerusalem, which is really critical. People don't understand how important Jerusalem is to Palestinians, to many people in the Arab and Muslim world. Uh, That's why, in fact, Hamas named this as Al-Aqsa Flood, uh, referring to uh, the Holy Mosque uh, in Jerusalem. So they're they're trying to capture that mood, you know, And, and as I said, you know, just being in the West Bank last week, many of us have been saying, there's going to be an explosion of some kind. It's not doesn't mean that people are going to be spontaneous. It means sometimes somebody's going to exploit it to their advantage politically. Someone is going to do something because it was clear. It was an explosive situation. Uh, let me turn us to, to the second question, that what does winning look like? Shibley Telhama, you take this first. For Hamas, do they have a long-term strategy? I don't think so. I mean, obviously, they're trying to reshuffle the deck. They're desperate and in some ways, just like most Palestinians are, and see where they go from there. For now, of course, they think they've already won in the sense that they think they've undermined Israeli deterrence. They've shown Israel to be weaker than it, it claims to be. They've... Uh, they're becoming more popular in Arab and Muslim countries. You could see people rallying behind them in places like Morocco that have already made peace with Israel and Egypt. Uh, you know, so it's it's they are obviously getting uh, popularity now on the ground. What it means would be probably to withstand the Israeli counterattack and survive and generate a different kind of reaction, perhaps draw others in. In the end, there is no real military solution to this. I mean, the Israelis could prevail and destroy Hamas. And, and, you know, destroy Gaza. And then what? Uh, then what? And in the end, I think this is what the United States should be thinking. I would already start laying out, knowing that there's going to be a deadlock, even if there's a military uh, outcome that ends the, the, the military part of the conflict. There's going to be a need for some political shift that's dramatic, far more than they were anticipating. And they need to plan it now. Tal Schneider, what does this look like from where you sit in Tel Aviv? What does winning look like for Israel? Shibli Tilhami just said they can crush Hamas. Then what? Marie-Louise, I'm, I'm a woman. I'm a mother of three here in Israel. And I have to tell you, everybody is losing. There's no winning here. Israel has already lost with 1,000 people slaughtered. Um, communities, uh, 25 communities set on fire. Nobody's left there. Uh, women taken at gunpoint, uh, elderly women, babies, uh, all taken captive. American citizens are captured in Gaza. We never had, uh, I mean, not for many years, we never had a war on our, in, inside Israel, right? It's it's not, it's the war is not outside of Israel, it's inside Israel. I don't think, I, I don't ever recall that in my, in recent history. And I have to tell you, we are losing big time. They're losing big time. It's a vicious circle of blood with no end at sight. So just lose, lose, completely lose, lose situation. And it's, it's just horrific. And I'm in a complete agreement with that. It's a lose-lose, and most of the people who are losing are the innocent civilians on both sides. Look at the hundreds of people who were killed. Uh, obviously, the, those Israelis who were killed by Hamas, and now the bombings that, that ensued in Gaza that has brought hundreds of people dead and, and thousands wounded as well. The overwhelming majority is innocent civilians, and there are no winners. Everyone loses. 
And we need to focus on this human dimension of the conflict. Shibli Talhami of the University of Maryland. He's also a fellow at the Borkings Institution and on the line from Tel Aviv, Tal Schneider, correspondent for the Times of Israel. Thanks to you both. Thank you, Marvitris. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, American Home Shield. In today's market, you may decide to make your current house home sweet home for a bit longer. But are your aging appliances in it for the long haul, too? With American Home Shield, protect what you don't expect, like a leaky faucet or faulty water heaters. Go to ahs.com slash consider to save $50. See ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. This message comes from NPR sponsor Stearns & Foster. To Stearns & Foster, your comfort is their everything. So they've made a mattress that's irresistible inside and out. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted. Every stitch, every layer uses the finest materials, like indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for the coziness you want with the support you need. Timeless quality for your most comfortable sleep. Stearns & Foster, what comfort should be. More at StearnsAndFoster.com. Spend time in any American city, and you'll likely encounter someone with untreated psychosis. Lost Patients is a new podcast examining our maze-like system for treating severe mental illness, which loses patients to an endless loop between the streets, jail, and hospitals. Does it have to be this way? For the history, the reality, and hopefully some solutions, listen to Lost Patients from KUOW and the Seattle Times, part of the NPR Network. Listening to the news can feel like a journey. The 1A Podcast is here to guide you beyond the headlines and to cut through the noise. Listen to 1A, where we celebrate your freedom to listen by getting to the heart of the story together. Only from NPR.